there are these two young fish swimming along and they happen to meet an older fish swimming the other way who nods at them and says, Morning boys, how's the water? And the two young fish swim on for a bit and then eventually one of them looks over at the other and goes, What the hell is water? I'm Don Hall and this is the Peculiar Journeys Podcast. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast designed to see the water that surrounds us. And welcome to the podcast. If you're new here, do me a favor and head over to Apple Podcasts, subscribe and write a short recommendation when you finish listening if you like it. I'd appreciate that. Also, for those new folks, this season, uh, the third season, I'm alternating between the stories behind my 10 tattoos and a subjective history of the theater company I founded back in 1992, WNEP Theater. Now, when we left off on episode 22 in season two, Joe Janes, Jeff Hoover, and I had sat in the park smoking cigars and just sat and envisioned the theater company of our dreams. If you haven't listened to that episode, I recommend it so that at least you have some context of where we were coming from. It was fall 1991. Terminator 2 Judgment Day and Point Break were both in theaters. Nirvana had just released Nevermind and on the second floor of the Nelson Funeral Home in Andersonville, Chicago, Level 6 was being birthed one audition at a time. 98 people auditioned that Saturday. Quick monologues and improvised scenes for an entire day. Following the grueling experience, and if you've ever sat through a day of improv comedy auditions, you can't truly know the agony. Suffice it to say, if I found out I was dying in 10 minutes, I'd spend that time watching bad improv because that shit lasts forever. But following approximately 10 hours of this, Joe, Jeff, and I headed to an all-night diner on Lincoln and Fullerton and hashed it out. And it took us a long time. Lots of cups of coffee. After battling past who was talented versus who was cute versus who seemed cool versus who were already our friends from Second City, we finally came up with a cast list. An equal mix of men and women was the best we could do in the vein of diversity. There were just not many people of color, which is a term we hadn't even heard of yet in 1991. Not many people of color auditioned. We decided to call the ensemble Level 6 as both an homage to our time at Second City, the final uh, level for the Second City training program was Level 5, and as a signal that this was an extension of that training. Joe wanted at that point to write a non-review of unimprovisation for the new crew. I wanted to put up something simple and bonding, like, like featuring most of the cast improvising together so that we would kind of gel perpetually the producer i booked push studios on broadway which much later became straw dog theater for a long time for joe's sketch show and then i made a deal with the beaumont bar on halstead for us to use the back room stage on sunday nights for the improv show i knew about the beaumont because jeff lived just above and to the south of that place one of the things that was interesting about that deal was 
this was pretty early on. I mean, today in Chicago, there isn't, you. I mean, you can't spit and not hit a bar with some sort of show. There's sketch comedy shows. There are spoken word shows. There's poetry shows. There's uh, storytelling shows. You name it, improv shows. And just about every single bar in Chicago. At the time, there were not. At the time, that was pretty rare. Mostly it was bands um, and uh, the rare stand-up night. So this was unique. Uh, at least on that strip, for sure. And the deal that I made is that they would let us use the back room where the bands played on Sunday nights, uh, provided that our audience bought beer. And if beer wasn't bought, then they were going to either boot us or talk to us about paying rent. I mean, that was how how completely sort of what are we doing that everybody, including the bar manager, were kind of just kind of experimenting we called Joe's show Silence of the Frogs, and he designed a weird but funny poster. We named the other show Comedy Improvisation, period, colon, question mark, dash, dash, dash. By the way, those are all spelled out. Comedy Improvisation, period, colon, question mark, dash, dash, dash. We thought that was pretty clever. It was Saturday, February 27th, 1992, and I was running last-minute errands to get us ready for our Sunday night debut of comedy improvisation, period, colon, question mark, dash, dash, dash. I had my Aquamarine Geo Metro parked outside the office depot next to Second City, and it just loaded the hatch with a couple of rolls of tickets, a cash box, an easel, and a big pad of paper, box of markers, and I heard someone call my name. Don? Don Hall? Hey. Uh... Hey, you're um, you're Bob Wilson, yes? Yeah, I, I auditioned for you last month, and and we didn't cast you. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, you cast the other guy, Eugene. Yeah. So, do you guys need any you know help with anything? Huh? I really you know really want to be involved. So, if there's anything you guys need done? Huh? Well, we need someone to do box office, run the lights. You interested in that? What time do you want me there? And Bob Wilson became a member of Level 6 that fast. Rehearsing for comedy improvisation, period, colon, question mark, dash, 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 resembled less a rehearsal than just a bunch of people getting together and cracking each other up for three hours. And the show was kind of a mix and match of new games and scenes with blackouts in between. And if you don't know what a blackout is, that's a short scene pre-written that has sort of like a punch and, you know, the, the, the joke hits and then you hit the, the lights and there's a blackout. Now, in the bar, there was no sound system available to us and the lights were pretty much run by a single on-off switch. And initially, Bob was timid. You know, he wasn't the most experienced improviser and he didn't want to step on anybody. So he wouldn't edit scenes. The scenes would go on far longer than they needed to. And, you know, consequently, we never had a good solid out for any of the scenes. It just sort of meandered until one of us would kind of figure out a way to get the lights to turn off from Bob's perspective. So I bought Bob a stopwatch. What's this for? Well, Bob, you can't time a scene to save your life, brother. Here's the deal. Start the clock at the top of every scene. At three minutes, look for an out. At five minutes, I don't care if one of us is on the verge of announcing the actual true fucking meaning of existence, pull the lights. Bob got better. 
Based in part on the hard feelings that some of our former classmates had for not being cast, I opened it opened it up for the show to include a second group to share the bill. We, I figured more people on stage meant more people in the audience. No, they didn't pay anything. We kept all the income, so the risk was really all ours because you don't really make a ton of income on a Sunday night in the back room of a sports bar in 1991. Initially, they wanted to call themselves Free Beer, but I nixed that. I, <laughs> I wasn't prepared to deal with a bunch of booze hounds looking for free beer. That's just not a good idea. In the end, they end up calling themselves Free Pickles. And things were going fine. In the negotiating with the bar, Joe and Hoove were the good cops, and I was the heavy. I'd bring in the concerns and requests, elevating them just enough to allow Joe to soften it some and get what we really wanted. Um, and that policy was working pretty good. Audiences were pretty slim. I mean, it was Sunday night, and this was pretty rare, but we we'd rarely canceled a show. And we were actually doing some decent sort of the young person improv group work. The shows were frequently funny and sometimes not so good. That was just kind of how it worked. In the meantime, we met and we wrote and rehearsed Silence of the Frogs. Joe was experimenting with, I guess we call it dramedy, forcing himself to find funny in very serious situations, scenes set in cancer wards and things like that. Jeff was having a ball. He was just creating bizarre characters and having fun. He was just one of the funniest fuckers I ever met in my whole life. And I was pushing the ensemble with avant-garde musical pieces like Windows in the Jungle and an acapella show choir medley of the greatest hits of Casey and the Sunshine band. Uh, one of our new members, Colby Paul, was a show choir choreographer. And so she choreographed the, the the this closing piece of the show that was actually frequently very well received. People really kind of loved that. And that one actually lived on for a much longer than, than, than uh, Silence of the Frogs. Now, Windows in the Jungle... Man, that was a trip. No one in the ensemble had any musical training, but for some reason, I decided that we should create a soundscape musical piece. I composed a 10-minute musical piece that incorporated an auto harp, African thumb drums, penny whistle, claves, piano, child's bells, and a rain stick. I, I bought this huge seven-foot rain stick that I bought in Texas. It was just gigantic. I had it in my apartment. I don't. Maybe that was the impetus to write the piece. I brought all these instruments. I set out to teach everyone their parts. And I really composed it. It was There was sheet music and everything. And it was painstaking. And it was kind of awful. No one could read music. Nobody was there for this shit. Uh, they just wanted to be funny. They just wanted to improvise and maybe do some scenes. So I just kept simplifying the parts and simplifying the parts. In the end, the audience, the poor audience, that's all I can say, the group surrounded them and then kind of just improvised a weird rhythmless thing for like six minutes. I mean, it was just terrible. It was just awful. The show, on the flip side, and talk about experiment, it opened with my Frogs piece. Now, Frogs was a solo jazz performance written while I took acid and listened to a CD of tree frog sounds on repeat. Okay, so before the show, I would dress in full indigent gear. Dirty chinos, a black t-shirt with a button down the shirt missing, a few buttons, and a tear up the side. Torn gym shoes, an old duster coat that I had, a ball cap that was kind of grease-stained. I'd stand about a half a block away from the theater entrance uh, about a half an hour before it started, and I'd play my trumpet. Just solo. Straight No Chaser, Perfidio, The Blues Walk. I'd just play for like a half an hour. And as I'd play, people would walk by and decide to either just not look at me as they rush by, walk by but kind of sneer in disgust, maybe mutter something, or stop and throw some change in my case. 
So the audience would do this. They would pass me and they'd enter the space. The house music was playing. And about five minutes after the start time, I would pack, pack my trumpet up and I'd walk up to the venue as if I were just like a homeless guy looking for a bathroom or a place to sleep. And I'd kind of lumber into the cabaret space among the audience. I'd ask a few for a handout and everybody would get really tense, you know, because here's this homeless guy walking around them. Most shows, no one ever said anything. And you could just see they were just hoping somebody from the theater would come and bounce this homeless guy. So I ignored everybody, uh, all the uncomfortable coughs, the slightly abrupt whispers, the, you know. And once I kind of heightened the discomfort in the room to a point where it was just like, breaking point bob would change the house music to this tree frog cd and i would hear it and open my trumpet case and play the piece i'd written while i was tripping i'd finish the piece pack up my horn and walk away and then go change for the rest of the show and by the time we got to like the third scene where i was in the scene people start to figure out that it was if they hadn't already figured out it was part of the show they'd figure out it was not what i would say the best way to open a comedy show but we were experimenting so that's the casey and the sunshine band closer however was far more successful despite the fact that few in the group could actually sing i mean let's be honest singing shake your booty doesn't really require a ton of skill Things I recall about performing uh, that first show in the back of a bar, uh, Jason Meyer and I showing up one night to do the show, and both of us had fevers in the 102, 103 degree range. Apparently we were brilliant, but neither of us remembered the show. Bob Wilson had a huge tragedy in his family during the run. Huge. I won't get into the specifics out of respect for Bob. Rest assured, it was fucking awful. He showed up to do box office and run his light switch anyway. This blew my mind. Alita Vitas was Lithuanian, was tapped into a large Lithuanian community. One weekend, the bar owner told me that if we didn't have a full house that night, she was going to kick us out. I told Alita, and she delivered nearly 60 Lithuanians who drank the place down and loved the show. Now, as the shows continued, my relationship with the manager became strained. She kept on me weekly about beer sales and, and how our meager audience wasn't making her quota. I'd suggest drink sales, special comedy beer specials, and she'd just balk and push for more sales. Joe and Hoove stopped coming to those weekly dressing downs because their good cop routine wasn't really working, so it, it kind of became bad cop versus bad cop every week. Then came what became the first of many Don Hall rage explosions that have since become legendary. To preface things a bit, one of my big flaws as a person is that I tend to carry personal weight around until I blow. Um, you call it Irish, call it whatever, toxic masculinity. I don't like sharing bad news with my groups, and I have this old-school men-don't-wine attitude. The result is that once in a while, I blow my top inappropriately to the situation. And I can say that at 52, this is not so much the case anymore. I've kind of learned to control that kind of temper. But at the time, I was in my 20s, and what do you expect? I also had had, at that time, some real issues with anger. I was a big 
bar brawler in college and was drinking a lot at the time. So leading up to the night in question, I was dealing with the fact that while we were in rehearsals for our written show, Silence of the Frogs, folks in the cast were coming to me with problems they were having with Joe's direction of the show and the material. I was a full-time music teacher and I was finding out that I was fucking exhausted every single day and had filled every waking hour working on level six instead of resting. The Free Pickles gang were complaining that they wanted to switch around showtime so that they got to headline sometimes and I was also dealing with some marital problems and couples therapy. So I was a giant boil just ready to burst. Now the week before during our show, the busboys walked through our audience with bags of garbage, nine bags in the middle of our show. Immediately went to the manager and complained and was treated like a turd on her shoe. So I was kind of coming in to the night in question with sort of an attitude. That night, the night in question, free pickles opened. We had about 30 in the audience and things were going well. At the end of their set, instead of asking the crowd to stick around for level six, they encouraged the crowd to join them at another bar right away. And all but two left. I was livid. Absolutely livid. And in my stubborn rage, I insisted that we do the show for the two remaining audience members. When Gene Grillo and Colby Paul started to complain about it, and I completely lost my shit. I screamed at them for being namby-pamby, whining fucking actors and that they weren't invested in things if they were going to find things to complain about all the time. I threw a bar stool across the room. I mean, I completely freaked out. It was unprofessional. It was kind of sad. And it was a little scary. Well, we canceled the show. And within two days, both Gene and Colby had quit the group. And I don't blame them, to be honest with you. Well, after losing Gene and Colby, which suddenly thrust Joe into the cast of Silence of the Frogs, so now he was pulling triple duty. He was writing, directing, and performing. We added two more people, Paul Devitt, a friend of Hoover's, and Christy Transier, who would later become Hoover's girlfriend for a while. Joe and Alita directed Silence of the Frogs, and we agreed that I would direct a second-act, long-form improvisation, just to kind of round things out. Well, the fallout from my tantrum was twofold. A creeping distrust in me from most members of the group apparently seeing me in a full-blown rage is a bit unsettling, and my paranoid fear that everyone was just going to quit. The latter began paving a road of my need to make sure everyone is happy, and that was not a good trend. All right, comedy improvisation period, colon, question mark, dash, 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 finally closed due to conflicts with the bar. They just, I, I, we just couldn't sell enough beer for them. So we decided to continue the Sunday nights at another bar because, you know, that makes sense. We asked Joel Jeske uh, to join the group, and he did for one week. Um, he saw, he suggested that we call the new improv show Amin Watusi because he thought that was funny. And then he came and saw Silence of the Frogs and quit. Why did he quit? Here's a review from the Chicago Reader. In Silence of the Frogs, the creative limitations of level six really begin to show. One would think the luxury of a script would prompt them to weed out the dross, but instead their material only seems worse. After an interesting introduction in which actor Don Hall plays a muted trumpet to an audio background of croaking frogs, this show screeches to a halt in the first scene. With its cliched dialogue, nondescript characters, and half-realized situation, the sketch ends before anything happens. 
sentences. The rest of the scripted material sums, suffers from the same problems. The choppy structure and uneven quality of material give the review a sluggish pace that is often hard to follow. The show picks up, though, after Silence of the Frogs when the group returns to do some long-form improv. We ran Silence of the Frogs for 17 weeks until one night we showed up and the, another company had built a set that kind of completely fucked us from doing our show. There was no week, way we could do our show around this brand new set and we couldn't get rid of the set. Well, after getting a shitty review and doing the show for no one but my wife a couple of times, I decided to pull the plug. I mean, Watusi was at that point up and running in another bar and several of, us, several of us had auditioned for and then been cast in Chicago comedy sports. In listening back, it sounds like the experiences of those, of those first two shows were pretty miserable, but they weren't. Those are the, I, I think we tend to remember some of the negative, uh, and I also feel like in, you know, in the, in, in the spirit of being truly disclosing and genuine to, to let you know these are some of the things that happened working in those earliest days with joe and jeff jason and bob alita and ann and everyone else was like being freshmen in college it was training it was creation in the face of commerce it was laughter and drinking and making each other look as good as we could sure yeah it was hard sometimes we didn't always get along but the fact remains that we showed up we tried we failed and we tried again no matter how odd things got, I still hold fond memories of Hoover cracking me up almost every single time I saw him. I remember how Joe and I worked tirelessly figuring out how to do this thing we were doing. Most importantly, we were performing our stuff in one of the largest metropolitan areas in the world every week. That was level six. That was Chicago. That was the 1990s. If you're enjoying these stories, shoot me a line at don at donhallchicago.com and let me know. If I left something out, share it with me and I'll put it in subsequent episodes. If you're digging it, subscribe on Apple Podcasts and write me a quick two-sentence review. Really appreciate it. And Patreon is always an option if you'd like to financially support the creation of this podcast. I'm Don Hall and this has been Peculiar Journeys. Rock on. Peculiar Journeys is a weekly storytelling podcast produced, voiced, and edited by myself in my apartment above a bar in Wicker Park, Chicago. You can subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or catch it on SoundCloud, or download it from DonHallChicago.com. You can assist Peculiar Journeys financially, if you can, by becoming a VIP patron on www.patreon.com slash peculiarjourneys. Peculiar Journeys.